This is episode 25 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Jennifer Buchanan. You know, I read in, in the, the stresses and frustrations that can come in our job on the social media groups that I belong to. And I, I see people going through a lot of things. Um, and I feel that it's important for the profession, but also for ourselves as professionals, to continue asking the questions and for sure not being afraid to be frustrated, but also ensuring we take the time to to, pro- to problem solve through them and to go through some of these things because it's the problem that is often going to teach us so much more than the success. And I highly encourage people to just hang on a little bit longer. If they're feeling that if they truly love this profession but it's not quite working out the way they want it to, I can't help but feel there's a way to do it. It just may not be quite revealed yet. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In this week's episode, I talked to Jennifer Buchanan, who is a music therapist in Canada. So Music Therapy Chronicles has officially gone international, which is very exciting. I know we have listeners from Asia, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Canada, Brazil. So it's really great to be able to do an international interview as well. So Jennifer was formerly twice the president of the now known Canadian Association of Music Therapists. We talk a little bit about the name change in this episode. She is also the author of two books, Tune In and Wellness Incorporated, which are awesome resources for aspiring music therapists and current music therapists. We talk about those in the episode as well. Jennifer's also a well-known keynote speaker and she offers coaching. So if you're loving what she has to say in this episode and want to have some one-on-one or group coaching time with her, please check out the links in the show notes. If you are enjoying the podcast and feel so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews help this podcast be more visible to more people so that more music therapists or aspiring music therapists 
can get this information. Also, please check us out on social media. We're at Music Therapy Chronicles, most prevalent on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a Facebook group. So feel free to join that, start a discussion about what you learned in an episode or join one that is ongoing. And finally, Music Therapy Chronicles has a Patreon page. On Patreon, I'll be offering the opportunity to ask guest questions. So when I schedule an interview, I will post on Patreon. And if you have some questions for that guest, you can leave them there. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the podcast, or if there's someone you want us to reach out to, please let us know by sending an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. All right, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for making the time to talk with me because I know you are very busy talking to lots of other people. <laughs> what Once in a while, but this I've been really looking forward to, I promise. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's so kind. Oh, that's wonderful. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, you know, thinking about the people that are listening to your podcast right now, which is getting great reviews, by the way. Thank you. Um, oh, I know, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, like, it, it would be very easy for me just to say that I'm a music therapist, because I really am. Um, I have, this has been my career choice and my calling from the get go. And I started at the ripe old age of 21, um, all that wisdom at 21, and, and I had found my profession, and I feel really fortunate to have done that. Uh, what makes me uh, perhaps a little unique is, uh, but I also know that you'll have some listeners that relate to this, is that when I started, there were no jobs as a music therapist within facilities that I could apply for. So becoming a health entrepreneur was my opportunity to actually do the craft and the job that I love to do so much. And today we're a team and uh, we're a pretty substantial team serving a lot of individuals. Uh, again, like many of your listeners, our youngest clients are infants and well, go well over 100 years old. And uh, in addition to that, I have the privilege to be able to uh, speak to a lot of audiences and groups. I get to do marvelous podcasts once in a while, which is great. And, um, and, and, and so the career just keeps a flowing and a growing. And I'm pretty excited about that. Ah. Beautiful. That's also wonderful to hear. And it is amazing to hear how far music therapy has come. Yeah, from people who have been doing it for, for longer than I have and longer than many people have. Well, so, and I'm in one of those places right now where we as a province, um, I live in the province of Alberta in Canada. 
And we are literally just going through regulation right now. So uh, before I got on this podcast today, I was filling in my application uh, to grandfather in. So here I am 28 years into a career uh, that was used to at one time be a nice to have and people were, you know, happy to test out the waters and try a music therapist now being a full blown uh, regulatory body. Uh, That's pretty exciting. Yeah, you beat me to it. I was going to ask what music therapy is like in Canada. How do you become a music therapist? And obviously, you're working towards different political recognition right now. So can you give us like, maybe your own personal journey, how you became a music therapist officially, and maybe some of the steps that you've seen along the way? Because you were the president of the, is it the Canadian Association of Music Therapists? Is that the correct yes. words? Okay. Well, and that's interesting too, because that's the new name. It used to be the Canadian Association for Music Therapy, and we have just changed it to be of music therapists. And I I actually have been president twice, which um, I'm not sure what that means about my sanity, but uh <laughs> I was president in 1998 the first time, and in the second time, I I went back in around 2011 or 2012, and so I've had an opportunity to also see that big picture of shifting that happens uh, in a country, in any new profession. So you were asking me about where I started. Um, I had an opportunity early on um, through a fairly sad circumstance in our family when my grandfather at the age of 62 suffered uh, his second major stroke and was put in long-term care. I was uh, 13 or 14 years old when that happened and it would be my first time in a long-term care facility. I had no education going into a place like that. We can all remember that, can all remember the sights and the sounds and how uh, uncomfortable and awkward I felt at that age. And it would be my granny that would ask me to learn my granddad's favorite song and sing it to him. And she would be the one to put the chair right up to the bedside, which also made me feel more awkward and uncertain about what I was about to do. And I sang to granddad and interesting things happened where the wandering guy wandered on in and sat down and made himself feel comfortable. And the screaming lady came on in and she started singing really loud right beside me. And uh, granddad started to cry and I'd never seen him cry before because he was a miserable old guy. And so things started to happen. And my um, time in that long-term care facility every Friday night from that day forward uh, basically propelled me into a career that I wanted to learn more about that I found interesting. And I, here at the time, uh, we, we did have one degree program, I believe, in all of Canada, but it was on the other side of the country. And so I registered for a diploma program and we were just starting uh, what we call 
our accreditation. Our acronym is MTA for Music Therapist Accredited. Uh, interesting about that too, why would we have used that term? It's because in Canada, we have a two languages, two national languages. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to come up with an acronym that would be the same in English and French. And so we have MTA. And, uh, and I, while I, when I finished school, that was just coming into play. And for my, um, uh, for me to become accredited, I had another interesting opportunity where there were no board exams like we have today because we're sharing in your board exam now. Um, but what we did was we wrote um, what felt like a huge stack of papers for a case study and a group report and goals and objectives and, and proving our skills. And then we sat in front of a panel and were interviewed. And it was that process that led us into um, our accreditation. And there was something, it, there's something wonderful looking back on how personalized the opportunity I had, which is also probably my favorite thing about music therapy in general, is how personalized it can be for everyone we work with. And my job as a music therapist and being a music therapist also seemed incredibly personalized. So I graduated out of British Columbia, uh, Canada, which is also where I'm from. And I would make my first real trip to my internship in Calgary, Alberta. I worked with a wonderful woman. Her name was Gail Hayes. She became a music therapist in her mid-40s, and I would meet her about three years after she graduated. So she had a lot of life experience. She was originally an opera singer, and she had a gift for relationship and establishing connection with her clients. And she would introduce me to this wonderful world of practice being music therapist. And so I, uh, I followed in her footsteps. I then went home after I completed my hours. And uh, I was home for about seven days. And I can remember I was standing on this rock in Vancouver, British Columbia, in West Vancouver, perhaps one of the more glorious and beautiful places in the world. I was singing at a, my best friend's wedding. And, uh, and as I was singing at this wedding, I, I looked out and I began to miss being back at Calgary doing the private practice work that Gail introduced me to. So I got in my car and I headed back to this land that I knew needed more music therapists. And I too started my own practice and uh, that would have been the early 90s. Slept in my car, I think, for a couple of days. Uh, got a job at a retail store during the day, or the evenings, actually, so I could find contracts during the day. And, uh, and then did all those trailblazing things so many private practitioners do in any field, which is just 
do what it takes in order to do the work that you love to do. Yeah. Wow. Um, trailblazing is a good word for it because to dedicate the time to stay in your car, to work to retail, to be doing all of it at once, be growing a business, that takes a lot of effort. So it's people like you that have allowed people like me to have jobs now and to not have to work retail at the same time. I can focus on being a music therapist. So thank you so much for that. In addition to your your presidential service as well, because that is also blazed many trails that I cannot even fathom <laughs> for <laughs> the rest you. of us. Thank you. It's been, truly, it's been a pleasure most of the time. When I'm not crying in the fetal position in the middle of my bed, it was really a pleasure the rest of the time, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes it's uh, it's easy to get bogged down by... <laughs> By all the things, I get that. All the things, all the things. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's good. So now you also have the opportunity to do lots of keynote speeches. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite things to share with maybe music therapists, people who aren't music therapists? Some of your the most satisfying or most fulfilling things you you talk about when you give those keynote speeches. Mm-hmm. You know, I I. I, what I really love about speaking in front of a group of people is to bring them into the narrative of the stories of how people have literally been transformed. And I think we've, we have noted that many times in our career. And a lot of my clients like yours may not be able to communicate some of those transformations uh, themselves. And so to be able to share their stories has been a real important component. Even just sharing granddad's story, uh, this miserable old man and, and all of a sudden crying and feeling connection with the people around him. That's been an important story, but not only about him, but it's been important for me to share that, to stay connected to my granddad and to share his music. Um, you know, what I am planning to do, I'm, I'm doing a keynote really soon here on September 21st uh, for World Alzheimer's Day, and it's going to be live streamed. So people might be interested in seeing that one. And what I'm going to be making the connection of here is we're hearing a lot and have studied now a lot around music and the brain, which I do feel is really important. What I feel is going to become as important, and for some people in their practice even more important, is the recognition of this second brain we're talking, starting to talk about in medicine, which is our gut brain. And I have a feeling that music therapists are going to have a be big players in the research around that uh, because I feel there's no denying that we feel music in our gut and we feel music in our heart and we feel music in our head and our bodies. Like it is that uh, connection that we feel the music ourselves and that then in turn we can establish relationship and actually connect to another human being. That still blows my mind. 
Uh, and I've been doing this a long time and I still get those moments with someone where I'm witnessing their breakthrough during a session and they're able to then express that breakthrough, whatever it is for them. And so that's what I like to bring to the keynotes is that the audience also experiences music in a much deeper way than they ever have before. And I will not be personally satisfied if they don't leave thinking about music in a new or slightly adapted way where it becomes five or 10% more important or powerful to them. And uh, that's what's pretty exciting. Yeah, I, um, I've done some of my own reading on the microbiome and the, the mm-hmm. gut brain, specifically Dr. Perlmutter's work. And yeah, it's it's so it's cool to hear you tie that to music therapy, because sometimes I feel like I have, you know, this polarity within myself, my God, like, oh, like health and fitness is cool and music therapy is cool. But I am really interested to see <laughs> how the research ties those two together. Me That's too. So awesome. I think that will be the next wave, and uh, I'm interested to see it. And as a non-researcher myself, um, I've got good friends who are doing research out there. Uh, You're saying you're grateful for the trailblazers. I'm grateful to these researchers that just stay so focused and intent on finding these answers and giving us the evidence that we can then springboard off and leverage and share with the people we serve. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I also uh, is, I'm not a researcher mentality <laughs> person. That was poor wording. But uh, yeah, it's great, though, when you, you hear these awesome things. I was talking to who was it? Kathleen Howland. I interviewed her oh. and she was talking about the the dyslexia research that's coming out. And it's so cool to see all these different ways we can identify ailments in the body or um protect the body in different ways through music so I I, I've already said it but I'm really excited to see where that research takes us and what we learn me too are there any uh personal experiences personal stories that you really like sharing or any that you want to share with our listeners in regards to uh, clinical work, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> so you, in your in your keynotes, you you mentioned yeah. liking to share yeah. those. So, I'll, so I I'm gonna tell you one that I actually don't share in a keynote. Maybe after this, I will. But um, but he has just crossed my mind lately. Um, so most of my work is working in the area of mental health forensics. Uh, I do work uh, in palliative care as well. Um, But in the good old days, I also had a a lovely portfolio of children. And uh, um, I was working with, um, I was working with this young man who was three years old. And uh, let's just call him Dougie for today. And um, And Dougie was living in a foster home after he had been severely abused um, by his own father. And the result was a boy that looked like he had been born with cerebral palsy. 
and he was not quite uh, two and a half when I met him. And uh, he he kept his head low. He uh, had ceased making eye contact. And the woman that looked after him was very quick to let me know that this was a little boy who used to walk and used to giggle. And he was no longer doing either of those things. I would have the opportunity to work with this young boy for uh, probably close to eight years. Uh, this is another reason I just love private practice because the depth of a relationship that you can have with a person over time is really possible. And so Dougie, I was going to have time to get to know, but in those early days, it was about finding out what was going to connect with him so he felt connected with me and we could begin to do the work we had to do together, which is we needed to get back walking. We had to get back giggling. We had to start talking and doing all those things that um, Dougie needed to do. And I knew it was going to be pretty hard work with him. And I can remember that first six months, maybe even a year where just trying to make a connection. And we, um, I, I just didn't feel that I was getting there as quickly as I could. And, and sometimes I feel it's our logistics of how we've placed ourselves. And we're so used to being very close to our um, clients or patients when we're with them. So, you know, there's a real intimacy with that. But I didn't quite him ha have him in the right place because he's such a tiny person. I'm much bigger. Although we're sitting on the floor, I'm still towering over him. So one of the techniques that we worked on was putting him on top of the table in a secure car seat. And uh, so that even when his head was bent down, he was able to look at me eye to eye. That coupled with us doing glissandos with our voices going woo and doing all these things with his name and with uh, words and with food and all the things that, that uh, he had been connected to is when we made our first connection. And I can remember the first time I came in to sing the Hello Dougie song. And I added in all of the going up highs and going in lows. And I can remember we heard the ho oh, oh. And we just all went, okay. And we tapped into something where we finally found his giggle. And it was in the highs and it was in the lows and it was in the being silly and being fun because we're dealing with a kid. And uh, that's where we started. After eight years, this would be a boy that uh, was able to walk a little bit and add in a few words and uh, started going to regular school with a with an assistant, and uh, it was just a real pleasure to be a part, a small part, but a part of his uh, 
development and growth. So I'm thinking about Dougie today for some reason, and it was nice to share that story. Thank you for sharing it. Um, glissandos are one of my favorite things to do in a session. <laughs> and very often I feel self-conscious at first. I'm like, oh, I'm making lots of noise in this family's home. They have no idea what's going on. And um, and sometimes they, the school, the house, wherever the setting is, our clients are constantly reminded to use an indoor voice which is not a bad thing but I feel like sometimes in music that's the time where just like you have the guitar or a drum or whatever and you're being loud and they have the opportunity to be loud and yeah whether that's just shaking the ocean drum or banging on a drum or you know scream glissandoing uh, and that brings out that expressive quality in them that laughter, that smiles, and then that allows for language. And those moments can really easily be overlooked. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, Definitely. The, the expressive arts part of our job. Sometimes I have to <laughs> remind myself instead of just, you know, we're working on the, the social goals, the communicative, communicative goals, the cognitive goals. We, there's that expression. <laughs> You know, we do have to release our fear and we also have to be okay that, you know, just like with Dougie, there's, there's work to be had. So, so there's some hard things we're going to have to get through with our clients as well, um, with them, alongside them and be there and support them through some of the most challenging times of their lives. And that takes us releasing the fear that we may have of maybe doing the wrong thing. Um, it's important to go in with that intention and trust. Trust in your education, trust in the experience you've had to date, even if it's just a little bit. Um, trust in that and try. Um, because the person that's sitting in front of us is worth the attempt. So let's keep doing it. Well said, they're worth the attempts. Yeah, I'm going to let that one sink in. Oh, good one. Good one. So you also have written two books, right? I have. Yeah. So tell us about those, some of the, <laughs> the thoughts behind them, who they're geared toward, all that good stuff. Well, the first book came at a time where... I wasn't sure if I was going to continue being a practicing music therapist myself. I had been practicing for um, many years already, and uh, uh, the book would be written in 2012, so I don't know. What is that? Uh, seven, a little, years? seven years ago, so not too long ago. And so I would have been practicing for for a while, and um, I just wasn't sure if I was going to continue being that clinical music therapist. And it wasn't that I didn't necessarily love it. I was just feeling that my career was taking me into a new place and I was uncertain about it. Uh, my mom always taught me to end any moment in our life, segment of our life on a high note as much as possible. And so I thought the best thing that I could do at that point is to pull it all together, to find 
my own voice, uh, my own perspective, and to write a book specifically for the public and for intro music therapy, people that are thinking about going into music therapy, write a book so they could hear the voice of a music therapist and and what it was like and, and what some of the stories were. And so tune in is essentially that coupled with uh 10 exercises at the end that any of us can do that we can also do more clinically with our clients, but that the general public can also do in a certain way for them to tune in more deeply to their music. And that's why I called it tune in. And, uh, it was a joy to write that. The other thing that tune in did for me is I grew up, uh, doing well in school, except in English. I don't know why. I was always told I wrote backwards. The last half of the sentence was meant to be the first half of the sentence. And my grammar wasn't so great and my spelling was questionable. And I was essentially told, oh, Jen, you do all the other things well. You do music well. You do math well. You do all those things well, but you don't write well. So I always felt like, oh, being a writer, does that even fit for me? But I felt, again, a calling to do some writing, and it perhaps has been the best self-care activity I have ever had, Uh, to the point now where I think I wrote the second book just so I'd have an excuse to go back into self-care mode. The second book Uh, I wrote for all the health entrepreneurs out there, not just music therapists, but any person working in private practice who owns a small business, who's dealing with people and who cannot measure their success by profit. You just, it has to be from somewhere else, although you need to be making money. So it is about the, uh, the steps that you, that I'm suggesting all health entrepreneurs consider when putting together their businesses in order to make it as sustainable as possible. So these are sustainability steps. Um, Making money may not come quickly. It certainly has not come quickly for me. That was not for me at all. Being sustained, maintain my clients, Uh, ensure my staff have jobs, creating jobs, all those things became incredibly important. And so how do you create a business that that can do that? So uh, this book is for those health entrepreneurs, and it's called Wellness Incorporated. And it just came out in January of this year. And I am really excited about it. Uh, I springboard my personal coaching sessions off of that book. Uh, it has some of the, the sort of the stressful moments in my life are written in that book as well as the successes. And it's meant to uh, help anyone who's feeling like they're struggling or feeling like they want to grow and are nervous to do it. So those are both beautiful resources. Uh, The first one, tune in. I've had, I feel like more people reach out to me lately about 
I'm interested in being a music therapist and, you know, they need someone to talk to. And maybe it's because of the podcast. Maybe it's just that people around me are interested. Uh, but I will now have that resource, the tune-in book to recommend to them. And uh, for the second one, sustainability is totally name of the game for what we do. Um, it's interesting that your first book was birthed out of I don't think you used the word burnout. I, I don't remember. Did you use the word burnout? <laughs> that could have been implied. <laughs> <laughs> I won't put words in your mouth. But but it's it's the when we're feeling so bogged down sometimes we produce mm-hmm. the this the work that we could not have fathomed before we were kind of broken and depleted. So thanks for going through that to give us those resources. You're welcome. And, um <laughs> We're, we're all we're all lucky to have them to learn about ourselves to grow from to have your advice so that we can continue to grow as professionals in a sustainable way thank you thank you you know i read in in the the stresses and frustrations that can come in our job on the social media groups that I belong to. And I, I see people going through a lot of things. Um, and I feel that it's important for the profession, but also for ourselves as professionals to continue asking the questions and for sure not being afraid to be frustrated, but also ensuring we take the time to to pro- to problem solve through them and to go through some of these things because it's the problem that is often going to teach us so much more than the success. And I highly encourage people to just hang on a little bit longer if they're feeling that if they truly love this profession, but it's not quite working out the way they want it to, I can't help but feel there's a way to do it. It just may not be quite revealed yet. So find the people in your life that inspire you the most. Find the people that you can begin to discuss options, adaptions, uh, next steps. Sometimes it may not be the giant leap that you're dreaming of. It just might be a micro step, but it's movement nonetheless. During my most challenging of times, I was presented with this, um, with this saying that, uh, uh, and I'm hoping I can remember it right now, that you don't need to, um, it talks about that, that you do not need to have it all figured to move forward. And that really struck me at times where I just wanted to figure it out. But sometimes you're just not at the place where you can. 
And so it will just mean moving a little bit forward with the faith and the hope that that you will get through it and not only get through it, but thrive. Well said. Yeah, sometimes it's important to leave ourselves that space uh, and for the answers, allow the answers to come to us. I definitely resonate with that <laughs> for sure. You also offer coaching, right? So if anyone's in that place <laughs> and needs some advice and mentorship. Mm -hmm. or, or if you want to bash around some ideas and find out what that next step is, problem solving has become one of my favorite things to do. So certainly give me a call. I'm also run, running the uh, Health Entrepreneurs Hub for anybody interested. And uh, that's starting in October. And you can find information on that. And that's group coaching. So it will be an entire group that you work with over nine weeks. And we go through every chapter in the book to ensure that your business or your private practice is in a place of security. That's awesome. That's another great resource. It's amazing that the internet allows these things <laughs> to be available um, talking to people with these interviews always gets me really excited for all the things that are out there to help help each other. Um, that's a great thing about our profession is everyone is super generous, kind, compassionate. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Do you have anything you'd like to add before we move into some rapid fire questions? Oh, no, I'm, I'm totally waiting for those rapid fire. Let's go. <laughs> So the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Absolutely. Americano, black. <laughs> it's good to know what you want. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> early bird or night owl? Oh, hands down an early bird. There is nothing more glorious than a 545 morning. And I am, when I do my best writing, it's somewhere around that five to eight o'clock in the morning time. And uh, uh, if I get to hear the birds first thing, I feel like it's a glorious day. I'm with you on that and taking the time in the morning to do your creative process. I feel like there's a lot of literature out there about, quote, successful people getting up early and doing their emails and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not what I want to do when I roll out of bed in the morning. <laughs> no, it is about the creative stuff for sure. I agree with you. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. Not to say I don't do a few emails sometimes too, though. <laughs> that was not a judgment to anyone who does emails. That's just not my process. There's plenty of people who have been on the show that are night owls. Like their creative time is at night. Right. And I cannot relate right. to that, but good for them. Well, the night... I've married one of those. So it's very, you know, another show we can do is, is how does that work, right? When you've got a night owl spouse and, and you're an early bird, it's been interesting for sure. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Something you would tell your younger self. Like yourself more. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Your music therapy elevator speech. Oh, that's good. Okay, so I want everyone to envision that you're actually getting in an elevator and someone turns to you and say, oh, that's so nice that you're here doing music because you've got a huge guitar on your back. And the very first thing I always say is I say, yes, I'm very grateful that this hospital or this organization hires me to be here. The very first thing I say is that I want them to know that this organization has faith in whatever I'm doing enough to pay to be. what unit I'm going on and uh, the unit will dictate a little bit about what the next steps are. So say I'm going up to the palliative care unit. I say, you know, this particular hospital is uh, particularly unique across Canada because I do group music therapy on the palliative care unit where I will see six residents today and their families and we will discuss and I will say whatever we're going to be looking at for that day. So I say I get paid, and then I say a quick scenario, and that's it. I don't say what music therapy really is. I just give them something to think about, and of course, a business card. <laughs> <laughs> that's an uh, an interesting approach, and in a way, it's comforting to know that the explanation of why you're carrying a guitar is similar in Canada. <laughs> For sure. (laughs) Right. I know how many of us have been called music ladies or music guys or something. Yes. For um, the listeners who can't see me, I have relatively short hair and I did have a young client mistake me for the music guy last week. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fine and happens and is cute. The teachers are always more uncomfortable than I am with that. (laughs) Yeah. Your favorite self-care practice? You know, for sure, the writing's right up there. Um, I I also love to travel a lot, um, but I just don't get the opportunity to do that so much. So my porch has become my next favorite place to be. And uh, I've put in a little bit of time to make it the the feeling that I want it to have and uh, sitting out on that porch. And if it's a little nippy, putting a a thick blanket on top of me and a cup of coffee, basically you're hitting on all my self-care things. Um, That's joy for me. That's a lot of joy. There's something to be said for creating that special place for yourself, wherever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Something that's currently adding value to your life? You know, work. Um, I, I absolutely love working. Uh, when people talking about work-life balance, I actually don't think of myself ever that way. It really is just an integration in it all. And I'm, I know I'm heavy on the work side, but there's so much pleasure in the work that it's the life I want to live. Um, so work is adding a lot of value right now. I I just got a call this week where um, I've been asked to come and do a week-long workshop 
with youth who have experienced trauma in Nunavut, which is our most northern territory in Canada, where by the time I go there, they're probably going to be at about five to six hours of daylight a day by the time I see them. And this will be, um, this will now make it that I've been in every province um, working or speaking in Canada. And the value, I, I get such tremendous value from all these incredibly interesting people and stories and experiences. It is just completely enriching. I'd be remiss, though, not to say um, that I see great value in also the successes of my spouse, who is doing amazing work right now with um, ensuring that every person with um, high-functioning autism across Canada is employed in the job they want to be employed in. That's his job. And I am seeing great, tremendous um, value. I, I, I don't know if that's the right word for this, but it, it feels like it when I watch my kids now as adults um, living their best lives. And uh, that is awesome <laughs> and exciting. So, so work and family, I'm sure you've had a few people say those things. <laughs> You're both trailblazers, is my response to all that. <laughs> you guys are, are fighting the good fight and getting lots of work done in Canada. Good for you. That's beautiful to hear about. Your favorite song or intervention to use in a session? Okay, so when you were asking me favorite song... I will tell you my favorite song and then I'm going to tell you a separate intervention. That's my favorite. So, um, always on my mind by Willie Nelson. It doesn't matter that I learned that probably when I was in junior high. Um, there is something about that song and it affects me deeply. It is my number one. I've got a whole bunch of other songs but that one has never changed its uh goose pump value on me whether I'm singing it or whether I'm hearing it my favorite intervention lately so I work with um men who are incarcerated I call them the mates instead of the inmates so they're the mates and I go to the mates every Thursday and uh, they're in assessment. It's a forensics unit. So often I will only see them maybe four or six times. And my favorite intervention when we get to it is to go around the table and uh, just have them tell me what they're doing when they were about, you know, 10 years old eight or ten years old tell me what you were up to and so we'll go around and sometimes you hear where they were living the house they were at um, if they were riding a bike hanging out with friends getting into trouble like you hear all sorts of things that are going to happen 
and I and I will enforce in them that I loved hearing about what they were like at that age. And I will then have them imagine and remember that probably at that age, you needed something. There was something that you needed. And uh, it would have been something that would have made it easier for you or better or, or more satisfying for you. But there was something you needed. And I pass out a piece of paper at that time and I say, whatever that is, write that at the top of your page. And, and then we begin to um, unfold about four or six sentences that uh, go into deeper details around what they needed and what would have looked like if they got it and what sort of people did they to help what resources that they need what supports whatever it's going to be and they write it down and I then um, let them know that I'm going to uh, improvise a song on the spot to those words and and what I all and I'm sure so many of us do this I am it never ceases to amaze me that you know, two people out of the group of six will say, oh, I don't want you singing my words. And I always say, of course, I won't. You know, I don't. I won't even go there. But as soon as you finish the other four, I look at them and I say, are you sure? And 100% of the time, the last two go, please do. They just needed to experience it themselves. And each song will have, I will quickly skim the words. Um, Sometimes I may ask if they are hearing it upbeat or a rap or are they hearing it um, as a ballad, like how are they hearing it? And I might play a little bit and make sure it fits for them. And so everyone gets their own individual piece. Um, and, and they seem to then, it seems to then really anchor that, need that they had with the validation as well as I've now been witness to them as an eight or a 10 year old. And I feel the therapy comes in when they know that someone has been witness, even though I never that. Yeah, that's a really beautiful intervention. And um, I think it's it's sometimes easier to think of or identify the needs of a child or even yourself as a child. And so for those adults, they might not in this moment be able to know or want to identify those needs, but putting them thinking of the needs of a 10-year-old is a wonderful way to go about that. That's awesome. That's a really, really beautiful intervention that I'll probably use. And, and the other thing in this setting, when working in forensics, we have cameras on us. Assessment is being done simultaneous to my sessions. And so my, my not-so-hidden agenda is also so all the professionals who are going to observe this get a sense of who these men are no matter how, in some cases, catastrophic their behaviors have been, 
that there was an eight or a 10 year old inside of them and it still exists because they just talked about it. And I feel that's really important. Yeah. Uh, on past episodes, um, I've discussed with the guest about how music can be used for preventative care and early education, say, or uh, all those types of things. So maybe someday we'll have more conversations about that than this end of it, where we we need to go back and try and reparent or right. re- relearn all those things that we experienced or not we were experienced when when they were little. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, not to completely change the tone of this conversation, but <laughs> where can people find you and connect with you? <laughs> Learn more. Well, as you said, the interweb is incredibly useful. So <laughs> uh, people can find my company at jbmusictherapy.com. And they can find me personally for coaching, find out about keynotes, find out about the hub at jenniferbuchanan.ca. The books are also there and we'll link you to uh, Amazon. I would be delighted to hear if your readers are enjoying the book and if they've got um, any questions for me. I'm also very open to email. So if people want to send me an email to jennifer at jbmusic.ca. And then finally, social media. So I'm Jennifer Buchanan, Inc. Uh, on, all, on LinkedIn, Instagram, and on Facebook. Jennifer Buchanan, Inc. And uh, I would love to hear from people. Awesome. I will link all those things. And I I know a lot of the listeners will be reading your book and checking out your resources. Thank you so much for talking with me. This was an awesome conversation and very inspiring in lots of different aspects. Thank you, Tricia. Keep well. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. It's so nice to talk to some of those trailblazers in our profession who put in the work for years so that those of us who are newer to the profession get to reap the benefits and also do the next steps required of us as a profession. So that could be recognition politically, whether you're in Canada in a province or the United States in a state. We're all at different levels of getting that recognition, but working towards a common goal. So it's great to see how far we've come and also great to see the progress that is still occurring. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and I will see you in the next one. (laughs) 